Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome to the first weekend bonus episode of the Tech Meme Ride Home for 2020. I'm Brian McCullough. Christina Farr is the one reporter I follow religiously to keep up on the health tech space. Christina was one of our first ever weekend bonus episode guests almost exactly a year ago. So I thought we'd check in a year later to find out how things are going in health tech. Why are all the big tech companies so obsessed with health data all of the sudden? Why are you more likely to have your health record hacked than ever actually get your health records in your hands? What is the legality around hospitals selling your health data? All of this and more. Christina, thanks for uh, coming to talk to us again. Uh, Yeah, thanks for having me. So when we spoke a year ago, we talked a lot about um, things like wearables and AI in health tech. And I kind of hate to start off with one of those, one of these sort of like broad questions right off the bat, but... Um, did those a lot of those trends bear out over the course of the year? Because I kind of stopped hearing about it a lot. Like, what were the what were some of the biggest stories that we saw in health tech over the last year? The things that you found yourself writing about over and over again. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a really good question, and you know, an important time to kind of look back as we get into a new decade. Crazy. Um, so, you know, it's funny. I think at the beginning of the year, a lot of folks were talking about the AI and machine learning and kind of bringing these tools to bear in, in health. But one of the things that, that you need when you're trying to do this kind of work is a massive amount of data. Um, and so we, we saw a lot of deals get done through the year between health systems that have that information, um, typically in the form of, of patient records, and the tech companies like Amazon and Google. So, you, you know, in some ways, you wouldn't be surprised to hear that in the second, second half of the year, the big story was privacy, because I think, you know, consumers were at large kind of got the taste um, for, for what it really means to, you know, give up this information um, without consent. And we got into some really interesting discussions about what it means to be de-identified um, according to kind of privacy rules and regulations. And is that the same thing as being anonymous? And it turns out, of course, that it isn't. Um, so now, you know, there's, there's a lot of talk about potentially revising the, the privacy policies for this new age that we're living in. Um, and I think the tech companies are at the center of that. Well, you know, it's it, it's almost as if you were reading my notes because I want to talk about all these things. So let me back up for a second. Um, let's start with uh, with the the whole idea of the the tech companies and and getting into this data and stuff. Like, I, I mean, for thirty years we've been hearing that you know this is the next frontier for tech that we're going to make everything more efficient and digitize everything. But like, especially Google's. Um, like Project Nightingale, um, to some degree, I wonder if, you know, if, if it's what I just said, that this is something that tech has always wanted to get into. Is there something that has changed that now, like someone like Google has gotten so much religion? Like, is it that they uh, have built up all this cloud infrastructure and now they need to show something for that? 
Yeah, I mean, for Google, being number three um, in cloud after Microsoft and Amazon, you'd think that they would be looking at areas like health, which I think compared to other sectors is sort of relatively untapped um, by these cloud providers, and it's a huge industry. Um, so there's still a bunch of customers that you can you can sell on kind of migrating to the cloud, which explains their interest. And I think the other way they, they want to differentiate themselves is by saying that they're better at AI and machine learning and that they can build all these cool applications on, on top of their of these health systems and, and healthcare customers' data sets. Um, that's kind of been part of the, the pitch. But then, you know, the, the drawback is that nobody really trusts Google. And as they've tried to do, you know, what is essentially kind of some of the same things that healthcare companies have always done. Uh, like they're not doing anything new here. And Project Nightingale kind of follows a very long tradition of these sorts of agreements being made between healthcare companies. Well, yeah, um, I, and there's nothing illegal about it. Maybe that's what I'm, I'm yeah. asking. Like, how, how, just from your perspective, how serious do you think this is? Is this something new, or is this, as you're saying, just something that we've been hearing for years and years? Like, how serious do you think someone like Google is about getting into this sort of health data stuff with both feet? I mean, I think it's both. Um, you know, it is. They are definitely serious about getting into space, and you, and you've seen them kind of hire a lot of healthcare people in the past year, including um, somebody called David Feinberg to kind of lead their their division in health. So that they are really serious about doing something in space. And then, you know, Project Nightingale, I think, got that reaction because it's Google. Um, but I recently tweeted out this whole thread of of just kind of similar things that have been done between healthcare companies for years that really no one has particularly cared about because it's not Google. Um, but, you know, for instance, if you look at the de-identified data that, that Project Nightingale um, in part was collecting and, um, and that involved, you know, that being shared between Ascension, the health system, and Google, these sorts of agreements happen all the time um, in health. I mean, if, if, if patient data didn't flow freely like it does now, I mean, you know, I've had folks say that the industry would basically grind to a screeching halt. Yeah, so that's kind of sorry. That's go ahead. kind of a tricky part of it. Yeah, you know, it's sort of like it's icky, but it's legal. Okay, I want to dive into that. Like you just you had a recent tweet thread where you you kind of outlined all the ways that healthcare companies have are already and have for years been taking advantage of your data or there's already like uh, brokers selling your health data in the same way that you know the, you can buy my browsing history or my location history and stuff like that. So this is that isn't new. What is new is that now there's this market to sell to the big tech companies is what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, one of the craziest stat statistics I've heard, um, which, you know, seems to be true. I don't know how much access you have to your health information or you even know where your, you know, blood test results or x-ray imaging is. Most people don't have access to that. Um, turns out that you're 10 times more likely to have that information be hacked than to ever view it. I, I'm, I'm more likely to have my health information be hacked than to actually ever see it with my own eyes. <laughs> more likely, ten times more likely. Um, so that's that's like the piece of it that's illegal. But the piece of it that's legal is that there are also data brokers, lot um, these companies that just buy up this information from health systems and sell it into pharma for mostly for marketing purposes. Um, which is, you know, another way in which your data is being aggregated and, and leveraged um, without you ever really having had access to it yourself. 
What about, we've seen all these stories about um, these genetic testing companies and, you know, it's not only crimes are being solved by them and stuff, but um, there's, I think like 23andMe cut some sort of deal with a drug maker to mine customer data. So is is that something that's new on the horizon too, that you're, <laughs> 23andMe is not just making $200 or whatever off the kit, they're also going to be selling this data down the road? Yeah, I mean, isn't it kind of a, like, it's sort of a brilliantly scary business model that you can charge people for these tests. And then also, you know, once you have that information, and of course, you have to get consent, but somebody says, yes, you can also have a business model on the other side of it by, by you know, aggregating that information and selling it to some of your pharma customers. And I think for 23andMe, there's kind of the, the third wheel of this, which is that they can become a drug maker themselves, which they are oh, currently wow. trying to do. Wow. Yeah, they they have a whole therapeutics arm, so they they're trying to use some of this information to see if they can develop better drugs. Um, and I think for that reason, there are definitely calls among patient advocates that I talk to to see if there's a way to compensate patients. Like, imagine if you had something really unique and cool about your genome, and that led to some great discovery that a, a bunch of drug makers, you know, were able to monetize. Why wouldn't you ultimately then? or get some kind of payment from that. That's what I've so been, this is something that's been discussed. I've been going on and on about that, about all of our data. How come? Like, but even, even forget about if they, if they make some sort of cool new drug based off of my medical history or whatever, but it's still my medical history that they're selling. So wait, let's back up a second. So this is all legal, even though we have things like HIPAA and, and all those sorts of laws. Is it legal because it can be de-identified or anonymized? Yeah, so it's it's um it's totally fine to sell anonymized data under HIPAA. Um, and then let's be clear, like HIPAA doesn't, you know, if you share your data, say you give your your health information to Facebook, like that's HIPAA wouldn't even cover that. It's really just cases where it's some kind of healthcare provider sharing data to a, a business associate. So that might be a health system sharing information with a company like Google. That would be HIPAA, but it's not all circumstances that involve any sharing of health information. And under HIPAA, it's, it's basically okay to, you know, form an agreement to share what this, this data that is considered de-identified. Um, but there are, and there are a couple ways that HIPAA sort of defines de-identified. But I think that's the piece of it where people are saying HIPAA needs an update because these days I think you can, you know, take very slight small amounts of information even when it's been de-identified, if you can find a way to correlate that to some other piece of information, say, like, you know, if you knew a person's location or where they're going every day, um, then you might be able to figure out ultimately who that that person is. So, you know, that's kind of an interesting thing that, you know, HIPAA wasn't, when it was, when it was sort of the law was first formed, wasn't really considering um, and then you can also share some data that is protected um, under HIPAA if you form an agreement um, and you sign what's called the BAA, a uh, Business Associates Agreement, and that allows for some sharing of, of information for the purposes of, say, research or for a company uh, building a tool for a health system. But they're not supposed to then turn that into a commercial business and sell it to another health system. So it's kind of complex, but that's sort of how generally how the framework of, of HIPAA works. And you can already tell that there are limitations. Is there is there a, a difference between de-identified and anonymized, or, or are they essentially the same thing? 
Um, no. Um, so they are not the same thing. Okay. <laughs> so like I said, you can, you know, when, when something's been de-identified, it's um, it, under HIPAA, it's because you've taken, stripped it of certain kinds of information that, you know, HIPAA would say are identifying or under HIPAA is identifying um, and met certain requirements. Or you've hired a statistician who's agreed that it's, de- it's sufficiently de-identified. But nowadays, people, you know, there's been lots of studies that have shown that even de-identified data can be traced back to an individual. So it is definitely not the same thing as anonymized. With everybody fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features Features, help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. I use this, and you should too. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee, so get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Let's be real for a minute. Most guys would wear a t-shirt every day of their lives if they could. The problem is that most t-shirts are not acceptable to wear at work or out on a hot date night. But today's sponsor, Cuts, has finally changed that. Cuts t-shirts are such high-quality, wrinkle-free, and so buttery soft that you can look like you're dressing up even when you're dressing down. Yeah, you heard that. Wrinkle-free. You never have to substitute comfort for fashion ever again. If you see me in a t-shirt, it's likely one from Cuts. I'm also a huge fan of their AO5 pocket pants, the right sort of step up from jeans without going all the way into dress pants, like literally my ideal Venn diagram of professional looking but comfortable feeling. When you touch something from Cuts, you can immediately feel the quality. Their proprietary fabric blends are ridiculously soft and breathable, they don't wrinkle, and they look way more expensive than they actually are. For a limited time, our listeners get 20% off your entire order when you use code RIDE at checkout. That's 20% off your order at CutsClothing.com with promo code RIDE. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Experience the perfect blend of style and comfort with Cuts Clothing. CutsClothing.com, promo code RIDE for 20% off. Um, coming back to this idea that um, it's these healthcare providers that are getting inundated by requests from uh, tech companies for, for their data. Like you, you did a, a piece recently where like apparently hospitals, which are generally, you know, like nonprofits and things like that and are kind of in dire financial straits um, are sort of <laughs> uh, not looking askance at, at, at these tech companies knocking on their door offering to to buy this data. Um, and, and so that's legal too. Like if I go to a hospital, like I don't have to consent for them to sell, you know, the, the, the records of my surgery or things like that. 
Yeah, I mean, if if they were able to just, you know, if they determined that they wanted to form an agreement with, say, Google, and they decided to either sign that agreement, do a BAA, or they decided to make the data set de-identified, they don't have to notify you as a patient. Um, They should, but, you know, they don't necessarily, depending on what the agreement is, um, they they may not have to ask for consent. And that's what happened in the case of Project Nightingale that you mentioned between Google and Ascension. I think, you know, it was shocking when some of those, we learned that some of the clinicians, the doctors didn't even know about this, um, let alone the patients. So you see a lot of this happening under this sort of, you know, secrecy. And I think that is my kind of, you know, biggest takeaway from all this is that I, I think that if, there had been more transparency around this, it probably wouldn't have been a big deal. But, you know, these tech companies like to do everything in this highly secretive kind of code name, project with code name sort of way with everything they do. And and they haven't really adapted that for the healthcare industry, which I, I think they should. Now, the, the tech companies like Google, when they're trying to get their hands on this corpus of data, um, is it just to train their say machine learning systems and things like that or or is there a way that are these new revenue streams is there a way that this data is already being monetized by the tech companies um it's you know a big part of it is to build those ai and machine learning streams and i think that's a pathway for them to monetization because they can kind of make the case that they've got an edge as a as a cloud provider it helps them sell more more cloud Uh, but i i also see them kind of you know, thinking about using this data to build new tools. Um, and those could be monetized potentially on their own. And one thing Google has definitely said that it is trying to do is do this sort of idea, you know, they, they're very good at search. That's their core competency. So could you apply search to the medical field and specifically to the medical record? So that if a doctor was in a medical record type system, they could just use this Google search bar to find some patient record whenever they needed it or to look for patterns among among the, the you know, sort of patients um, within that record. So, you know, it's just, it's apparently a very difficult to search the record now. And so I think that's kind of one of the things they're looking to build. And if they could do that, I'm sure that that would actually be a successful business for them. Um, I know we talked last year because there had been news around it right at that moment about, um, you know, Google's not alone in this. Amazon uh, is serious about getting into healthcare. Actually, in in a ton of ways, like even on the insurance side, the selling prescription side. Um, so, uh, how how has Amazon's efforts progressed uh, this year? Are they are they basically of all the tech companies? Are they maybe the most serious about getting into health in all sorts of ways right now? Yeah, I mean, I personally am most interested in in Amazon right now. Um, over any of the other tech companies because I think they've got this discipline. Um, and, you know, that discipline is, is sort of born from this being a, a really thin kind of margin business across the board that they're in in e-commerce. So they could apply that to to health in a way that, you know, you've seen other companies in the space sort of try to do a million things but then not get any of them right. I think Amazon might be able to hone in on a few things and really do well. Um, probably the most important thing we saw them do this year was they launched clinics for their own employees called Amazon Care. 
Um, and that might not sound big because, you know, obviously it is for employees, but I, what I suspect is that they are going to, if they meet certain metrics and, and they, I'm sure they have ROI that they need to hit um, just to improve the health of their own employees, if they're able to drive down healthcare costs, you could see them then saying, why not scale this to the population at large, to all of our customers? And you've seen them do that before. If a, if a product you know, is eventually going to be scaled out. They they decide to test it first on that smaller employee base and just get it right before they before they move out to the larger group. So I think that's what's happening within Amazon Care, and I, I I like the virtual, the digital first approach that they're taking with it too. Um. So Google, Amazon, uh, everybody knows that uh, Apple's messing around with this with <laughs> Apple Watch stuff. Um, we haven't mentioned Facebook so far, but um, Fitbit just got acquired by Google, and it came out that Facebook was apparently bidding against Google to acquire Fitbit. What do you make of that? I know, right? Um, clearly, Facebook is <laughs> is interested. I mean, we actually had a story on CNBC about, um, you know, these final weeks um, before the Fitbit acquisition, and uh, it came out in the story that um, the Fitbit CEO, James Park, had had dinner with Mark Zuckerberg, um, you know, a few weeks before, and they were talking about Facebook and how the company could have a whole wearables play. So it's probably not that surprising if you've been following Facebook pretty closely. I mean, they've talked about stuff like that for years, and they're really interested in, in sort of the brain computing interface as well. But, you know, it's just kind of scary to think in a way that Facebook may have access to this new amount of data, which I think, you know, for, for the, the wearables opportunity represents a way to, to kind of find out what people are doing on the, as they're on the go. Facebook probably doesn't have that information now, you know, they, so this could be a way for them to figure out what you're doing all day or every day. Um, how much you're moving, you know, where, you know, do you go to, do you work at an office? Like, all these questions, um, which would be potentially lucrative for them as they look at, you know, more ways to sort of target advertising to you. Yeah, I can see that, that, you know, they don't, they don't know what I'm doing unless I interact with them. And so obviously having a wearable or they've never been able to have their own phone, so they can't track my data direct, my, my location directly. But I'm wondering, is there some, I mean, obviously there is, but <laughs> there's some sort of play that they could make where you combine all of the personal stuff that Facebook knows about us with like health data stuff. And then all of a sudden, man, uh, insurance companies, whoever would be interested in that sort of stuff. Oh yeah. I mean, we actually did a story about this. Um, I think it was may have been earlier this year, but Facebook at one point um, had hired this cardiologist um, called Freddie Abnusi, who was working out of Building 8, uh, which is kind of their R&D group. And we had heard that Freddie's team had been approaching hospitals to talk about this kind of data set that is being referred to as the social determinants of health. It's kind of a jargony term, but it basically means you know, all the things about a patient that might impact their health outcomes that isn't strictly medical. So if you send a patient home who doesn't have you know, adequate housing or doesn't have social support um, or doesn't have access to clean water or healthy food, all of those things could be you know, social determinants. So Facebook was trying to approach these hospitals and saying, you know, if you share your medical data with us, 
in a de-identified fashion, then we can share back with you all this information about the social determinants. And then together we can have this full picture of people's health. But I think for some of the health systems, the, the prospect of, of working with Facebook was just too scary. Um, and I don't think that, you know, that, that project progressed. Uh, final question. And uh, you might not have anything on this. And if not, I'll just cut it out. <laughs> um, this is This is totally out of left field, but uh, this year is going to supposedly be the year that uh, you know 5G finally becomes real for everybody. And one of the one of the use cases <laughs> that every time people are hyping 5G, they always bring up is um, sort of like the the telemedicine aspect of doing remote surgeries and things like that. I, I'm just curious: uh, is is any of that uh, right around the corner where uh, my doctor can be in uh, Hungary or something and do heart surgery on me here in New York or something? I mean, <laughs> it's a kind of science fiction idea, but, you know, we, this idea of kind of remote um, health and, well, sorry, remote surgery and uh, all of this, I mean, I think that it's that you don't necessarily need 5G. Right. Um, some of the most, like, effective stuff I've seen has just been people in remote areas uploading just, like, still photographs. There's an app called Figure One where you can just, where you can do that, and then, you know, physicians from around the world will weigh in and say, well, I think I know what this is, and I think that you should treat it with X, Y, and Z, and you can get to a diagnosis much faster. And, you know, we've also seen experiments in VR and, and those sorts of tools um, within within the, uh, the operating room. But <laughs> I just, I think people kind of tend to focus more on this 5G and, high, and really high-tech um that's coming down the pipe, but for oftentimes the most effective stuff is the most simple. Well, yes, five G uh, is a lot of hype right now, as we know. Um, okay, that, <laughs> that that answers my curiosity. Thank you, uh, Christina, for talking to us again. Thank you for having me. It's been a real blast. <laughs> 